Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Chapter 3 than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, Well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. As we continue in our sermon series, Created, Fallen, Redeemed, we are to the portion of being fallen, understanding the gravity of our sin. But the most important thing that we want to take home as we study these first three chapters in Genesis is quite simply this. God created, man has fallen, but we've been redeemed. So what's important for us to remember is that Jesus is a creator who restores all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be geographically located in a state where we are free to come together on a Sunday morning and worship you. Lord, I want to pray for our leaders, our governors, mayors, county commissioners, the president of the United States, those who are in authority above us. Lord, I pray that they make us decisions that pursue your will. Allow us to be free to share your good news. 
provide those opportunities. We pray these things in the name of Jesus because the good news of salvation hinges upon him. Amen. So legend has it that Sir Isaac Newton was sitting under a tree thinking about the forces of nature when he observed a few apples fall. Some of you remember learning about this. He soon came to the conclusion that a certain force must have caused some apples to fall because he noticed that not all the apples were actually falling. So some would fall, some would not fall. And he came to the conclusion that there's some force of nature behind these apples falling. So what is that force of nature called? Why were they falling? Gravity, yes. Speaking of gravity around the house, I know I've been mentioning hope a lot lately, but I got to get some things off my chest here. And I just feel like you guys are perfect for, for this. But she, she's been calling me gravity, or she had a period in time where she, she called me gravity. And, and quite frankly, I, I was a little puzzled. I was perplexed. And I said, darling, darling, why do you keep calling me gravity? You know, honey would do. Babe would do. But she proceeded to tell me that, you know, the problem is you're always around, constantly bringing me down. There's no need to clap, David, because I proceeded to tell her, at least I keep you grounded. Actually, gravity is a good way to lose weight, for those of you that do not know. And, and this is something I learned this week, but if you want to lose some weight, gravity is the way to do it. So when we start inhabiting Mars, if you weigh 100 pounds here on Earth, on Mars you'll only weigh 38 pounds. Not bad. If you go to the moon... If you go to the moon and you weigh 100 pounds on earth, you're going to weigh 17 pounds on the moon. Church, in all seriousness, just like Isaac Newton observed the force of gravity by observing apples fall down from a tree, we know that the force of our own sin has caused us to fall down too. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 3, and I quote directly from Scripture, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. But fortunately for us, the Bible goes on to say in Romans 3 that we are what? Justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The greatest blessing that any person could ever receive is the gift of faith which leads to salvation, faith in Jesus. But just like gravity has a downward pull on this earth, sin has a downward pull on us, especially as it pertains to our relationship with the Lord. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title for today's sermon is this, Fallen, Sin's Pull. Fallen, Sin's Pull. If you brought your Bible, you can join us this morning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 as the verses were already read, 1 through 13. Let's not forget about last week, Pastor Jared encouraged us, and he did a mighty job of doing so because we were encouraged in knowing that our God is revealed in the details of his creation. We were also encouraged to know that we are the most prized of his creation. And that's a beautiful thing to know in that we were blessed here on earth by God 
with eternity in mind. And that's the reason why we can say the greatest blessing anybody will ever receive is the gift of salvation or the gift of faith that leads to salvation. Today, we will observe the deception that leads to sin. We'll recognize the gravity of the lies that come from our adversary against the backdrop of a fallen world that's affected by sin's pull. Before we begin and continue, we need to put those verses that were already read, Genesis 3, verse 1 through 13, into one main sentence, which will become our main idea for this morning. And that idea is this. When we look at these verses this morning, we come to this conclusion. The only one to blame for our sin is ourselves. The only one to blame for our sin is ourselves. Do we have any Norman Rockwell fans in the building? There's a few of you. I've always appreciated his art. I believe this would qualify as the expert salesman, wouldn't it? Do you see what's going on in this? In fact, Norman himself titled this painting The Expert Salesman. You can't quite see it, but it's right there at the bottom to the left of his name. Do you know what's going on in this photo? And the reason why this guy is the expert salesman? Well, he's selling a refrigerator to Eskimos. I think it would take an expert salesman to be able to do something like that. Somebody who can sell something to someone who doesn't need what they're actually buying. I don't think Eskimos need a refrigerator, do they? Church, this is what our adversary did in the garden. He sold Adam and Eve something they didn't need. So think about that in your life. Personally, individually, with your relationship with the Lord. Think about that personally. Like Adam and Eve, what is it that Satan is trying to sell you? And if you don't think he's trying to sell you something on a daily basis, then you are fooling yourself. And we see it as much in our first set of verses, verses 1 through 5 this morning. Verse 1 through 5, right out the gate it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. The serpent, a.k.a. Satan, a.k.a. the expert salesman, the one who could sell a refrigerator to an Eskimo. It says, is more crafty than any other beast. See, the word crafty here actually means to be skillful in underhand or evil schemes. See, now, we don't want to forget that the serpent is the most crafty, the one who is the most skillful in evil schemes, that is Satan himself, he comes through and says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say that? Now, if the serpent is the most crafty, the most skillful at underhand and evil schemes, then we must assume he knows what he's doing which therefore we must assume there is a reason why he said this to the woman and not to the man. There's a reason why he targeted Eve and not Adam. And I believe there are two reasons why. 
there are two reasons why he chose Eve over Adam. The first is this. He recognized that Eve was the weaker of the two. But he also recognized that Adam was too immature to protect his bride. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. At this point, wasn't Adam and Eve sinless? Weren't they without sin? Weren't they living in Shekinah glory? Yes, that is true. But that doesn't mean that you couldn't be tempted in this period. See, that doesn't mean that they couldn't be seduced. Church, Jesus was sinless. Jesus was tempted and seduced by the same expert salesman. The same expert salesman tempting and seducing you. Church, do you know God's will like Eve knows God's will? Do you? Do you sit here this morning and feel like you know God's will on the same level that Eve does? See, after all, in verse 3, what does Eve say? She says, but God said, here's Satan, did God really say? And then Eve goes, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Eve knew God's will. But now, before we continue with verses 4 and 5, it's important that we understand something about how crafty Satan actually is. See, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 14, 11, and this is very important for us to remember. Never forget this. This is how crafty Satan is. The Bible tells us, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan might be able to disguise himself as an expert salesman, but at the end of the day, he is still a snake in the grass. Grass in which Adam and Eve neglected to mow. After all, weren't they charged with taking care of the garden? Grass in which we cannot neglect to mow in our own lives. See, the clever disguise of the serpent fooled Eve into thinking that he was a credible source sent from God. But in reality, the source wasn't credible at all, was it? The source attacked Eve, despite her knowing what she revealed, knowing about God's will in verse 3. An expert salesman who says in verses 4 and 5, you will not surely die. He was correct. They wouldn't die right there on the spot physically, but would eventually die physically later. However, they did die on the spot spiritually eternally. Now the snake in the grass goes on to say, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Church, it's up to us not to let the grass get too long to see as the lawnmower sits underneath the tree. I know you've all been past the house, grass hasn't been mowed, and that lawnmower's just sitting there in the shade, rusting out. And it's important for us to not let the grass get too long because our adversary is a master manipulator. And Adam and Eve did, in fact, come to know the difference between good and evil, didn't they? It's just that God knows the difference 
between good and evil from a holy, righteous perspective. Adam and Eve came to know the difference between good and evil from a sinful perspective. So how do we keep the grass mowed in our lives? That's the question that I think we need to be answering right now. How is it that we can each individually, with our own relationship with the Lord, keep the grass mowed? There's five things. There are more than these five things, but these are probably the five core things that we can do. The first thing that I believe that we can do, that we should do before we do anything in life, is pray. What does the Bible teach us about prayer? How does Jesus himself teach us to pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The other thing that I believe we can do is self-evaluate. You need to remember who you were before Jesus. Never forget who you were before Jesus. Never forget that your testimony is ongoing, constantly, continuously. If you know who you were before Jesus, you're going to recognize the attacks that are going to be used by our adversary from our past in order to get you to sin in the present moment or in the future. We can also read and memorize God's word. That is very important. And as we've talked about the 289 class that we're going to be starting in the pathway of discipleship that we will be going over as a church family together next Sunday morning, one of the key components to discipleship, to teaching somebody to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus, is to learn how to read God's word effectively, but also memorize God's word. He has written his word on our hearts is where the Holy Spirit lives within us. The fourth thing that we can do is identify temptation before it identifies you. See, a lot of times we think, well, we're susceptible to temptation when times are low. When I'm in the dumps, when things aren't going so well, that's when I'm going to be tempted. But I don't think that's the case all the time. In fact, we have evidence in Scripture that that isn't the case. Remember, we just said a moment ago that Jesus himself was tempted by the same snake in the grass. But he was tempted when he was at his all-time high. See, Satan tempted him as he was led into the wilderness right after he had been baptized. So whether you're in a time of low, a time of high, or somewhere in between, temptation is always around the corner. And the fifth thing that I believe we can do in order to identify temptation is to know that Jesus has already provided an escape. And speaking of memorizing Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10.13 is an awesome verse to memorize because it reminds us that when we are tempted... Jesus has already provided a way out. So when we see the temptation, when we've identified the temptation, we know that we can find an escape because Jesus has already provided this for us. And all of these things bring us to our first point this morning. And that point is this. It is our responsibility to identify temptation before it becomes sin. See, temptation itself is not sin. 
When we give in to temptation, it therefore becomes sin. So it is our responsibility to identify temptation before it becomes sin. And again, our main idea this morning is this. The only one to blame for our sin is ourselves. Contrary to popular belief, and I will be one that always thought this was true, but I've learned since it's not. Ostriches do not bury their heads in the sand. We've all been led to believe that at some point in time. Some of us are smart enough to not be led astray. But I always thought that they buried their heads in the sand, but apparently it's just a myth. They don't actually bury their heads in the sand. They put their heads down and it looks like it's in the sand. But I was always led to believe that an ostrich buries its head in the sand whenever it's fearful, whenever it's afraid of something. I mean, really though, how absurd is that? How absurd does this look? Do you think that that ostrich is really hiding? Hear no evil, see no evil? Yeah, well, his rear end's sticking up in, you know, up in the air, so I think whatever's after this ostrich is going to get it. Unfortunately, I don't think we're as intelligent because we buy in to these types of, of things. See, I know this is true from what we're seeing here this morning. When it comes to our sin, let's face some facts. We're pretty good at burying our heads in the sand, aren't we? In fact, we've been doing so since we first sinned personally. In fact, Adam and Eve did the exact same thing, and, and we see them burying their heads in the sand in our final set of verses. As we look at verses 6 through 8, we want to pick up in verse 6 and, and know that Eve believed the lie told by the snake in the grass. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, it says. God never said that the tree was good for food. God didn't say that. Satan did. So Eve took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. See, Eve wasn't meaning to rebel against God. That wasn't her intentions. She wasn't intending to rebel. After all, she believed that this was the right thing to do. Because Satan can disguise himself even as an angel of light. Her belief was rooted in Satan's deception. Then all of a sudden, after eating the fruit, verse 7 reveals that they now knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves lion's cloths. See, Adam and Eve went from being innocent to experiencing shame and guilt. And every last one of us in here, and the reason why we need to take an honest self-evaluation of who we were before Jesus is because Satan's going to continuously use who you were before Jesus to shame and guilt you into thinking that your sin is too big for the cross. Jesus could never die for a sinner like you. You are too sinful for him. You are too evil. See, the snake in the grass was using shame and guilt in the garden, and the snake in the grass is using shame and guilt today. We see it everywhere. Everywhere. Please know that the shame and guilt is only an effective weapon 
against those who have absolutely no future. But if you know that you have a future with Jesus, this shame and guilt dished out by Satan has no effect on you. See, the shame and guilt experienced by Adam and Eve caused them to bury their heads in the sand. And when, as it says, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, therefore, what they looked like to God is what our ostrich friend looked like to us. Same thing. Heads in the sand and heads only. And you could see the rest. So as Mike comes up and we observe God asking a rhetorical question, which is why we can say Adam and Eve looked to God like the ostrich looks to us, because he's asking a question he already knows the answer to. What does he say in verse 9 here? As we put verse 9 up on the screen. He says, where are you? Where are you, church? Just like Adam and Eve, we cannot hide from God or hide from our sin. Do you know what separates a good politician from a very good politician? A good politician from a very good politician? You know what separates the two? The ability to avoid blame. Adam is like our very first ever politician. And that's when we can say we see the shame and guilt everywhere. Everywhere. We live in an age. We live in, a, in an age that is providing opportunities for us as the church, for us who know the good news, who know the gospel, who know the only truth, to share with the rest of the world because everything else out there is a lie. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it doesn't matter what side you vote for politically, they're all liars, all of them. We live in an age when you can lie, but there's so much information out there that you'll never be called out because there's too much information to sift through in order to get to the truth. But the gospel, what we know right here in these 66 books, is all the information we'll ever need. Verse 12, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. That's what Adam says to God when he is called out on his sin. In other words, Adam saying, it's your fault, God. It's your fault. Just like our politicians, right? Our, our, our leaders. It's always somebody else's fault. Church, this is how fallen we are. This is how strong sin's pull is. We are foolish enough to blame others, including God himself, for our sin. And we do this instead of taking responsibility ourselves. This isn't limited to Adam. In verse 13, Eve attempts to avoid blame too. However, instead of blaming God, she blamed the snake in the grass. God asked, what is it that you have done? 
the woman said. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Church, a relationship with Jesus cannot begin until we take responsibility for our sin. Though we may be fallen and sin's pull may seem as strong as the forces of nature, a pull like the strength of gravity to that strength, though Jesus, through him and him only, God has removed the guilt, the shame, the remorse, and the fear associated with our sinfulness. Only he can help expose the expert salesman. And I don't know about you, but Flip on the internet, flip on the radio, flip on satellite radio, flip on the TV, however you get your information, I will guarantee you this, you have a million and one expert salesmen each and every day trying to feed you full of deception, full of lies to distract you from the truth. Only he can give us the strength to take responsibility for our own sin and not be cowardly by sticking and burying our heads in the sand. We arrive at our second and final point this morning. And that point is this. We cannot hide or hide from the sin that's already been conquered by Jesus. Think about that. How can you hide from something that's already been defeated? See, when Adam and Eve attempted to hide, it wasn't like God didn't know about the cross to come. We've learned through this series that when God created, he not only created the heavens and the earth and then rested on the seventh day, but he also created the cross because he knew what he was going to have to do. Jesus is not only our creator, but he is our savior. We cannot hide or hide from the sin that's already been conquered. So I don't mind talking about politics briefly, generally from here as it pertains to what's going on because we can be lights in this world, because we can say, I'm not hiding from my sin. Who, who you think is a leader, who you think is a person that's in authority over you right now, they, let them hide. Let them hide. We can take responsibility for our sinfulness, and every time we do, every time that we admit that we're sinful, and really that's the difference between a Christian and non-Christian, a lot of times people think that Christians need to be perfect or live a good Christian life in order to be saved. No, that's not the case. Really, the difference between a Christian and non-Christian is somebody who admits their sinfulness. So for me, as it pertains to me and the relationship that you have with me and the relationship I have with you, it's all about how do we respond when our sinfulness is brought to our attention. Whether it's the Holy Spirit living within us, convicting us, or us doing life together in fellowship, bringing sin to one another's attention. How do we respond? Do we take responsibility? I don't know about you, but what I'm seeing going on in the world right now, this is an awesome opportunity for the church to be lights, to say, yeah, they don't take responsibility, but we will. And we know that we can because of what Jesus has done for us. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. He conquered sin. 
And let's not forget our first point this morning. It is our responsibility to identify temptation before it becomes sin. And finally, our main point, the only one to blame for our sin is ourselves. Heavenly Father, we want to be a church that shares your good news. We want to do so in a way that you deem worthy. We want to know your will better. So I want to pray for us as we continue to move forward and position ourselves to learn more about the good news, learn more about the gospel. And as we learn about the gospel, we want to do so not for head knowledge, not for us to look good, but for us to share this good news with others. We pray these things in the one who made it all possible. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com. Dot com.